Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. The uh, message of Psalm 63 comes from a message that Russ was preaching a number of weeks ago on uh, Psalm 14 when people said there is no God and he t talked about practical atheism and, and people that don't necessarily say there's no God but they, but they live the wrong way. They live as if he wasn't there. And as I reflected on that, I said, "What then what should I be? And uh, I don't know if you remember that night, I closed with reading a portion of Psalm 63 because we're supposed to be those who have a, a thirst and a longing for God. So we'll read Psalm 63 and then uh, pray. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we approach the throne of grace to ask for help to understand your word. We ask for help in speaking your word, in delivering your word, in speaking as your voice. We also ask for help hearing your word taking your word in, using your word. Help us, Lord, not to be like the man who looked at your word and forgot what he looked like and walked away. Help us to intend to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Amen. Uh, my intention today is only to get through verse 1, but as we cover the whole psalm, we'll have some words of introduction. And then... David's address and assertions and the similitude in verse 1, reflections and intentions in verse 2 through 4, his meditations in verses 5 through 8, victory over the wicked in verses 9 through 11, and then as you can see from the psalm, there are many practical applications for ourselves. By way of introduction, he says where he is. He says it's the psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. And there are two occasions when he could have been in, a, in the wilderness. One was when he fled from Saul and one when he fled from Absalom. And I lean on the side that he was fleeing from Absalom. And here are some of the reasons. And they fit with what we'll see in the rest of the psalm. When he fled from Saul, there were names given to the places where he was like Ziph or Maon or En Gedi. When he fled from Absalom, it's only called 
the wilderness. And this wilderness is a physical place. It's uh, west of uh, Judea. It's west of the Dead Sea. And uh, if you look up geographical information, it says that the wilderness is roughly 60 miles by about 13 miles, over 700 uh, square miles uh, of rough and very dry terrain. One source that I looked up said that this uh, part of the uh, uh, of the wilderness, the wilderness may only have two to four inches of rain uh, per year. And it's sparsely, if at all, inhabited. You remember in uh, Mark's gospel, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And it didn't say anything else about the wilderness except that he was there with the wild animals. That was the only description that Mark gave. Uh, but that's the, what this wilderness was. Uh, Jesus was in the wilderness. He didn't take food for 40 days. In this wilderness, that wouldn't have been very difficult not to eat. It's a, a place that is barren. Spurgeon comments on David and he says, There was no desert in his heart, though there was a desert all around him. He says David was in a difficult situation. He was in a wilderness, but his heart was crying out, to God. We'll see that he actually uses the picture of the wilderness to say, I'm thirsting after you like this. Uh, the, third, uh, the third reason is the provision. Provisions had to be brought to David. There's two times when he fled from Absalom uh, that somebody brought him food and sustenance. The first man in 2 Samuel 16:1 was named Ziba. And he said he brought all these things for the people. And the second was a group of people in 2 Samuel 17, 27. And they had to bring more. There wasn't enough food in the wilderness for David and his people. There just wasn't enough. The fourth reason why this was fleeing from Absalom, it looks like, is because David mentions himself as king in verse 11. And he wasn't king under Saul. It's potential that he was already anointed, but he wasn't the king. In verse 11, he says, but the king shall rejoice in God. And he was reigning at that time. And then uh, the next reason is that there's the repetition of the word weary in the narrative of him fleeing uh, from Absalom. He says, my soul thirsts, my flesh faints as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 2 Samuel 16, 14, the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. When Ziba comes to bring the food, he says, and wine for those who faint or are weary in the wilderness. Uh, there's a man, uh, Ahithophel, more about him later as we study. But his counsel to Absalom is, I will come upon him when he is weary and discouraged. Uh, this man uh, plotted against uh, David. He saw this political shift and he said, let me take 12,000 men and I'll go after him when he's weary uh, and discouraged. Second Samuel 17, 29, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. That was the second time uh, provision uh, was brought to him. And then uh, finally, the defeat of the enemies is mentioned in verses 9 through 11. Notice the four things that happen. They go down to the depths of the earth. They are given over to the sword. 
David says they're a portion for jackals. There's the wild beasts uh, that are in the wilderness. I don't know if you know what a jackal looks like, but you probably have never seen a fat jackal. They are scavenger uh, beasts. They go out and they just find what they can find. And they kind of stay like a nasty looking dog, uh, skinny. And, and uh, that's what they do. A portion for the jackals. And then uh, finally, David says the mouth of liars uh, will be stopped. And if you look at those uh, results, it happened both to Absalom and to Ahithophel, especially Ahithophel the traitor. It's interesting that it says before this that the counsel of Ahithophel was like the word of the Lord. He was, what he said was so sure and, and everything. And we'll, we'll study him later. And the mouth of that lying man was stopped in the judgment of God as, as God changed things. So that's our introduction. Our first point is David's address for assertions and a similitude. He uh, brings up this uh, similitude. He says, uh, my soul thirsts and my flesh faints as in a dry and weary land where, where there's no water. He, he says, my soul is like the place where I am right now. That's what my soul is like. He was, he was living it. But notice his address. He says, Oh God. He calls upon God. He begins his prayer and his interaction with God. Now we know that he wasn't calling upon God the, for the first time. We can summarize it by saying he knew that there was a God. We can summarize it by saying God has to reveal himself for us to be able to call upon him. That God has given us directions and God has revealed to us how to interact with him. And then we respond to what God says to us. And then there's a, a relationship is built that has obedience and love. So when he says, oh God, there's already an established relationship. There's already acknowledgement that God exists, but then he brings it closer when he says, you are my God. If it sounds familiar, in God's providence, we just studied Habakkuk this morning, and Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 12 said, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. There's an identification. You're God, but you're my God. And David said it, can, can we say it? Can we repeat those words? God, you are my God. The Athenians had a city that was full of idols. The Athenians had a city and they had so many idols and so many gods and they knew so little about the true God that they had an idol in the middle of their city to an unknown God. But God is knowable through the revelation of himself. And we should remember that David cries out not because not because he's searching like the Athenians. We're reminded in Psalm 115 that idols have all the characteristics of sense, but they have no sense. They have eyes that they can't see. They have mouths, but they can't talk. You think of people that follow idols. You think of people that follow vain things. But David says, no, I know your God because you've revealed yourself to me. Amen. He, he, he finishes by saying in Psalm 115, all those that worship idols will become like them. A terrible fate. 
And then he says, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatsoever he pleases. Our God is the sovereign God of history. Our God is the sovereign God of the world. Our God is the sovereign God of this moment. Idols can't communicate. David responds to God's revelation. You are my God. But there's various facets in this. And there's passages that help us to see what he says. Psalm 31, 14. But I trust in you, O Yahweh. I say to you, you are my God. There's a history. There's a covenant. Psalm 42, verse 11. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There's salvation from sin. There's worship. There's hope. Why would I hope? Because God's revealed himself as Yahweh. He's revealed himself as the God who helps his people, the God who comes to his people. And he's so grand and splendid that I, I will again praise him. I want to get back to praising the Lord. One of my intentions and one of the things that struck me is David says, basically, I can't wait to get back to the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. What an amazing thing. We see God's power and your, his glory here all the time. We say, well, it must be veiled because I haven't seen it recently. Well, look at the person sitting next to you. If they're saved, God's power and glory is revealed in their life. God's power and glory is revealed because you can come and you could say, I know what God did to save me. He must have done a wonderful work in that person to bring them to Christ as well. Worship, salvation from sin, hope. I will say to Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, Psalm 91, my God in whom I trust. There's trust. There's the attachment. That's what he's saying. You are my God. It's not just a statement. It's not just, oh, today we're going to study the doctrine of God 101. It's not that. There's trust, there's hope, there's salvation, there's praise. In Psalm 118, verse 28, he doubles it up. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. I had to look it up. Extol means to praise highly. It's more than just praise. To praise highly, to go above and beyond just praise. He experienced these various dynamics in his relationship with God. That's what he's saying. You are my God. You're my salvation. You're my hope. You're my trust. You're my praise. You're my protection. And all those things are reflected upon. He asserts from the understanding of that relationship, you are my God. And then his second assertion, earnestly, I seek you. Some translations have early, I'll seek you. In the context, you can see earnest because the next thing he says is, my soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints. Well, that sounds like you got to be earnest if your soul is thirsting and your flesh is fainting. Uh, the word usage, it seems like it is interchanged there's five verses in Proverbs that are translated uh, diligently and, and uh, others as well. There is a verse in Proverbs that shows the, the uh, contextual nature of the, of the issue because uh, uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says the person that loves their son disciplines them early, uh, disciplines them diligently. 
the, the words are interchanged. And, and we would have to be careful there to say disciplined early. It, it's not like every morning you say, all right, children, let's gather for the morning spanking. Uh, it, it's not like that. But you're supposed to discipline uh, diligently and, and discipline uh, earnestly. And I see smiles. Maybe there are some morning spankings around here. But, but, but see what he's saying. Earnestly, this is my assertion to you, God. You're my God, and my second assertion is earnestly or early, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to, to look for you. And then there's a word connection that shows David's life of prayer in verse 6. When I remembered you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So if it's early, you see the connection of his prayer life because he says, as soon as I wake up, I seek God. And when I go to bed, I think about him. I think about him, he says, as if I think about him till I fall asleep. And when I wake up, I think about him too. But he's earnest because he says, my soul thirsts and my flesh faints just like everything that's physically around me now. There's not a stitch of anything for anybody to eat and drink. And that's how my soul feels to, to pursue God. It's like David's day of prayer, a day that's bracketed with prayer. He'll rise up early and earnestly seek God. Spurgeon speaks correctly. He says, Possession breeds desire. It, is God your God? Well, well, what does that breed? It, it breeds in you the fact that you need to go to God, that you need more. Possession breeds desire. He says, full assurance is no hindrance to diligence. You don't say, well, God's my God. I'm a Christian. I could just take it easy. No. Full assurance is no hindrance to diligence, but it is the mainspring of it. What causes me to seek after God? What causes me to thirst? Because God's put it in there. Yes. Amen. God's put it in there. If I know the Lord, I want more of the Lord. If I know the Lord, I, I hunger after him. Spurgeon says it's like the mainspring. I had to look it up. What does a mainspring do? Well, in a watch, you turned it and you, you tighten that mainspring and there's a tension there and that mainspring just has to go and go and go and go and go. And that's our desire after God. I'm not saying we have to be wound up every once in a while. Don't take the illustration there, but the mainspring drives the whole thing. My assurance of my relationship with God is the mainspring. It, it drives my relationship. And Spurgeon says this, this word has the sense of early in the morning, but a sense of eagerness and immediateness. I want to get to God now. I want to have dealings with God now. I want my prayer life to reach God now. We, we, can't, we can't be satisfied with a devotional life that just punches a clock, can we? Uh, this today in my study, today in my closet, was just like the other day. I just prayed and that well, nothing really happened. Does your soul thirst for more than that? Do you desire more than that? 
do you, would you like to know and understand and feel that my prayers reaches the king of heaven? My prayers reaches God. My prayers are heard. It's not punching a clock in a list, although sometimes we may be discouraged. But that's his, his desire. The third assertion fits in with this earnest. My soul thirsts for you. And where he is, there is not a lot of water to quench thirst. He begins the physical and spiritual picture that's summarized by the similitude. And, and the plain fact, the plain simple fact is, we cannot overcome thirst by ourselves. You cannot overcome thirst without taking something in that quenches your thirst. It's impossible. Spurgeon says again, thirst will be heard. Thirst will be heard. And I think we've all done it. We've gone outside, we're working in the yard, we're doing this, and all of a sudden it just hits us. Whoa, I am really thirsty. There's times when you go in, you, you think you could just stick your head under the faucet. I need water. You can cause yourself great physical harm if you get dehydrated. You, you can see things that you weren't meant to see. Your body can break down. The parts of, parts of your body can start to say, that's it. I'm done. There's no water. My soul, notice, it's not physical thirst, it's spiritual thirst. His intention to seek God earnestly and early is, is, is his felt need. And God creates the desire. And God works in our lives and he aids and maintains the desire. And, and we would have to ask ourselves, are we earnestly thirsting after God? Are we uh, thirsting, uh, as David says? If, if, the spirit, if the spirit groans within us, then I would say we, we would have to find a way to, to groan after God and to seek after God. We need to reflect on our spiritual thirst. First of all, spiritual thirst in general. Is there a thirst every day? Now, I, I, I kind of wait till things get, uh, get out of control. I, I like to I like to, to wait till I have no idea of what's going to happen before I pray. No, that's not the idea. Remember the, remember the bracket. I know David's in the wilderness now, but remember the bracket. I'll seek you earnestly early, and I'll meditate upon you at night. He, he sets up a picture of a person who's never that far from God. Matthew Henry says, and I'm going to misquote it, but he says, if you start your prayer life when you're in trouble, you, you, you're in more trouble. You don't start crying out. Maybe you cry out more, but you don't start. It's a warning to us. Are we spiritually thirsty in general? What should be our prevailing disposition? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What is my priority? What is my priority in life? 
Well, I can't get home. I can't wait to get home and have that meal. I can't wait to get in my car and drive. I can't wait for the next this, the next that. Jesus says, no, I got, I got something else to put on your priority list. Here's something on your to-do list. Here's a goal. Here's a goal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But then we do have to acknowledge not only spiritual thirst in general, but spiritual thirst in times of difficulty. What kind of help is God in the day of trouble? David says, ever-present help yes. in trouble. Ever-present help in trouble. God's not going to leave somebody who's crying out. God's not going to leave somebody who's in the wilderness, pursued again by somebody else. God's not going to leave somebody in trouble. An ever-present help in time of trouble. Psalm 86 and verse 7, we, we looked at this a while ago. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. And, and we said at that time, it's not one day of trouble. In my day of trouble, it's just trouble. We, we don't say, oh, good, my day of trouble is two hours old, only 22 hours left. It's a time of trouble. It's when I get in trouble. What does God do? Psalm 86 says, you answer me. That was his, that was his assurance. The fourth assertion, my flesh faints for you. They're connected. Hunger and thirst become something you can feel, something that's tangible. I think we've all been hungry. And there's like that knot, isn't there? Something's going on. We're like, whoa. If you've ever tried to fast for a day or, or more, you, you, you can sense it. We you feel our bodies reminding us, you haven't had anything to eat. And David says, that's how my body feels. That's how I go after God, as if my body is starting to faint. I earnestly seek him because my soul thirsts and my flesh faints for you. Not for food, not for a snack, for you. And he speaks to God and says, just like this wilderness. And then comes the similitude, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And that narrative shows us weary, weary, weary. And he just plugs that in. And he says, whatever. I'm as thirsty as this, or I'm as hungry as this. And then he says, this is where I am. I'm in the dry and weary land. And he tells God, my soul and my body are just like this land that I have to walk. Me and the people that I'm with, we don't even have provisions. Somebody has to come, not once, but twice it's recorded in scripture to bring us enough even to sustain us. And he tells God, that's just how I am. That's just exactly how I am. I had the opportunity with the family to visit the Badlands in South Dakota. And if you go out there, after a while, you can understand why they call it the Badlands. Because there's just not a lot of stuff. There's not a lot of stuff out there. There's some very interesting rock formations. There's some very interesting things that you would say, well, all those things in the rocks, that must have happened at the flood to leave all those layers. There's all sorts of stuff. But 
try to find a, a rabbit, an animal, or something, try to find people. Well, they made it a national park, so you won't. But that's all you're allowed to do is drive through. They say, well, get off and go on the path. So the, uh, the family and I did. There's nothing out there. If you like rocks, you'll like it. If you like not seeing any water, you'll say, hey, this is a pretty nice place. Let's get back to the car and get a drink. <laughs> they called it the Badlands. David is in a, a place like that. He's in a place that, that's tough. Around him, physically, there's almost nothing to sustain his physical life. And he says, God, that's, that's what my soul is like. That's what my flesh is like. That's what, I, that's what I feel. I need to see from you. He called out to God in the same way. Well, we come to uh, five applications and observations just for this uh, part one. And the first is all true prayer is offered to the only true and living God. There's only one person to pray to, and that's God Almighty. Amen. You are my God. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And David and Habakkuk underscored it and said, you're my God. No, all true prayer is offered to the only true and living God. Application number two, all true prayer is offered to a heavenly father by the intercession of Christ and the help of the Spirit. Now you say, well, where'd you get that from the psalm? Well, I'm, I'm getting that from, from our reality. Our reality is that someplace in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus started saying, Father, 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 Father. And in John, in John's gospel, the word Father is used over a hundred times. Do you see the relationship? It's not really a change, but it is a change. The Spirit, it, it, it comes into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father, you're my Father. Now, many times we go to the Psalms and we study prayer. Psalm 86, we studied the seven, eight, nine messages. We studied the Psalms for prayer. But brethren, I would like to submit to you, the New Testament should make you have your own Psalm. Because Jesus is your intercessor by the virtue of his shed blood and his intercession right now. David had, a, in a sense, a portion of what we have. We have the help of the Spirit. God, I don't know how to pray. And Paul says the Spirit groans. The Spirit prays in ways that you don't even know. I'm praying and somehow the Spirit's words are rushing past me up, up to the throne of grace. God, help this person. He doesn't know how to pray. Help him. He's in trouble. Help him. And David wrote all those Psalms. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? With the light that he had, he searched after God. And brethren, I'd say an application to us is to consider our fuller privileges in, in, in what we have. Full access to God. Verses in Hebrews, they say, draw near with full assurance. Come and ask. We should have our own Psalms. We should say, God, I'm going to seek you earnestly because I only, I have all the revelation that I need. 
not just Old Testament revelation. The third, the third application, true prayer is constant. It, it's constant out of the heart of the believer, but it's also, it's also constant because that's what we're told to do. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Paul says, your remedy for all the situations in life is to pray without ceasing. That shows our access, doesn't it? Do you ever, do you ever make one of those calls to a business you got to get through? And, and they say, please call during normal business hours. I'm like, it's a normal business hour for me. What are you talking about? Paul says, pray without ceasing. God always hears, there's no normal business hours. In the middle of the night, if your soul is distressed and you're tossing and turning on your bed, the, the door of heaven is open. The throne of grace is open. If you're traveling down a dark road that you have never, ever gone, and I've been there, Lord, there's no situation ever in my life that's been like this. I need your help. And God will help you through that because the throne of grace is always open. Draw near, draw near, draw near. True prayer is constant. David says early. David says evening. David says earnestly. And it's not only earnestly, he says, but I got a picture for you. It's as if I'm dying of thirst and I have nothing to eat. I'm coming. I'm coming after you. And that just goes right into the, the fourth uh, the fourth application is that prayer is not only constant, but earnest and heartfelt. Note his consistency. He's already been pursued by Saul. And now he's out there again, and Absalom's after him. What does he do? He just prays. He could say, oh, I knew it. Here we go again. I thought so. Trouble comes in threes. There's trouble around every corner. There's this and that and the other thing. No. He says, God, you're my God. Earnestly, I'm going to seek your face. He doesn't go and say, look, Lord, come on. I've been through something like this before. Consistency. He keeps praying earnestly. And then finally, uh, our final application is that this provides a chance for us to examine uh, our prayer life. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And it means to prove or assay or try or, or examine. First Peter 1.7. He says you're being tested by trials. It's Your trials are are working on you to, to find out what's really there or to show you what's really there or to show you that God is always there. But it's still a test. It's still a trial. But as we examine ourselves, we need to just go down the list. We need to just look at the, that verse. Do I have any thirst? Do I have any desire early? Do I have any desire after God? Do I think about God? Oh, I can't sleep. Well, yeah, I, I, I watch TV then. Okay, so you could. But, but does God come in my, into my mind? 
Do I meditate? Paul says further on, if you test, you have to realize that Jesus Christ is in you. He's not saying test yourself just to see you're a reprobate or something. He's saying really just put yourself to the test. See whether Christ is in you or not. Take time uh, to examine. And the disciples are an example because they came to Christ and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that can be our prayer. I say, well, I would like to learn how to pray better. I don't know. I don't know who in the room would say, oh, no, no, I got this prayer thing. I'm, I'm, thanks for bringing the message, but, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of set. I don't think so. I think every morning, almost every day, we think, I need to pray more. I need to pray better. I need to have more of something. That, that. But we can pray for a better, nearer uh, walk with God. We can pray that God would help us to pray. And then we can say, Lord, you're my Father. Lord, you've given the Holy Spirit to help. Lord, Jesus' blood has paved access for me into the throne of grace. I have everything I need. I, 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 just need, I just need more. I just need more impetus. I just need more help. And uh, you, you remember Russ mentioned this several times this morning. Ask. 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 Right? Believe me, it's not selfish. Because a good, a good prayer life is a tough prayer life, if you know what I mean. If you really set your mind to it, you'll have blessed times, but, you, but you'll find it's tough. It's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. It is. But God will give us grace to uh, reach out to him and grow in our prayer lives. And, and we have the examples of the Psalms like this one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name for the privileges that we have under the Lord Jesus Christ to approach you as our Father, to approach you regularly, earnestly, we ask you, Lord, that we would examine ourselves, that we would not be find lacking, but we would be those who could be encouraged by doing this or doing that and, and seeking your face. Thank you for these examples in Scripture. Thank you for David's uh, life. Thank you for that when he regularly prayed to you and also when he was in trouble. Encourage us uh, by that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.